Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. With the Lord's help, if we can accomplish it in the next few moments, we'll put a, just a little bow and wrap Jonah up here. Amen. Today. Not literally. I've already been wrapped up once in a fish. So, you know, but uh, amen. And I think, I think as it is with any uh, book of the Bible or the Bible itself is, you know, we see it center around perhaps a certain character or a story. But whenever we step back from it, Sister Margaret, we realize it's really even talking about us too. It's more than just a story about Jonah. It's about how we identify maybe with Jonah or identify with what's going on in the story uh, personally and then how that can impact and affect our lives if we'll allow it uh, to have that space to uh, impact us and affect us. So Jonah chapter number 3, verse number 10, and uh, I thought it was needful to read verse number 10 because of how verse 1 starts out in chapter number 4. The Bible says in verse 10, if you'll remember from uh, last week, I think it was last week, we were, I was here talking about repentance and things. Uh, chapter 3 is predominantly about Nineveh's response to the message of, of Jonah and how they put on their sackcloth and sat in their ashes and everyone was fasting and they repented. And this is what the word of the Lord says in verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil. It's speaking about the Ninevites. God saw the Ninevites' works and that they turned from their evil way. And God repented or, or God turned or God relented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Now verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And we're really, if you've never been exposed to this before, you might be a little bit taken back by the idea that Jonah is upset with, with this whole display. All right? It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord. This is quite a different prayer than the one he had in the belly of the fish. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? In other words, before I ever left and even went down to Joppa to get on the boat. Was this not my saying when I was still yet in my country? Therefore, I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew, I knew it. I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Woo, Jonah, you're really quite dramatic, isn't it? Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Because remember, the message of Jonah was this, Yet forty days... Nineveh shall be overthrown. We read verse 10. We, we, you know, we're the reader. We got the bird's eye view. We get, all, we get all the intel. We know that God turned. But really in reality, because I looked at this over and over again, really the only thing that Jonah knows at this moment in time 
that the Ninevites have been given a space, a period of time, a window to make things right. And even in Jonah's mind, that was just too much, God. Oh, how quick we're to forget the windows of time that God has given us. I want to minister this morning to help the Lord and, and pray that he helps me do it quickly. I want to, I want to minister today grace undeserved. Matter of fact, I don't know any other type of grace. Grace by the simplest of definition is unmerited favor or undeserved favor. So if you ever think grace is deserved, you're talking about something else besides grace because grace is undeserved. So I want to talk to us today about grace undeserved. Amen. Let the Lord help us. Father, I love you today. I'm thankful, God, for your spirit that we have felt in this place and that we have experienced. God, ministry that has taken place in this house. God, the physical bodies. Lord, issues of people's minds. Lord, and souls. I pray, God, help us, Lord. God, even as we turn our attention to your word, speak to us through your word. Help us to learn of you, God, from it. And help us, God, in our daily lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated today in Jesus' name. Grace undeserved. Uh, when we get to the crux again of verse number one of chapter number four, again, it isn't so much that Jonah isn't upset and angry uh, necessarily over Nineveh's repentance as much as he is upset over the idea or the concept that God has given them an opportunity to do that. That he's given them an opportunity to do this. Whenever at first glance, whenever I've, I've read this and read it over and over again over the past several months, uh, whenever I look at this and at first glance, I think that the it in verse number one uh, refers actually to the turning of the Ninevites, of them repenting. But in verse number 10 of chapter three, whenever it states those things uh, of them having turned and God having turned uh, Jonah doesn't necessarily know God's response to what has happened to their repentance. He just knows that God has given them a chance. He knows that God has given them a chance. And so as we even continue to read then in verse number two and verse number three, we begin to realize that what Jonah is really upset with is God's grace. He's really upset with uh, also the response of, of the focus because he begins to say, I knew, Lord. I, I knew the type of characterization that you were of. I knew that you were a kind God and a good God and a gracious God and a slow to anger God. And all these things took place so much so that the Bible tells us in verse number five that Jonah leaves the city. He goes out and makes his exit. He makes himself a makeshift shelter in verse number five. And it's as though he sits down under his shelter and he's going to wait out the 40 days. And I'm just going to see what happens. I know who God is and what he's all. He's given them even the space to repent. I bet. If I was a betting man, I bet. He's just going to spare them all together. And so he goes out there and he's just displeased. He's angry. He's, he's unsettled in his spirit about God giving an opportunity to Nineveh and his, his likely response to Nineveh's repentance. And so Jonah, though, has soon forgotten. This is a short book, folks. It's only four chapters. Jonah has soon forgotten, amen, of perhaps the day that he disobeyed God. He has soon forgotten forgotten the day that he was given a space of time uh, by virtue of a storm and in the fish to 
repent to God. And now in chapter number three, he has went, if you will, as the hero in God's obedience to preach the message. But here he is now in chapter number four and he is already starting to get a little upset with God's patience and his expected response to somebody else's obedience. So it's kind of like, you know, it's not what's good for the goose is good for the gander in, in Jonah's mind. He's like, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm worthy to get a space of repentance because we're God's, you know, treasure. We're God's, you know, nation. And so God should give me a second chance. God should, if you will, come to me the second time. And he should honor my obedience and I should be given a space. But God, these are a bunch of heathens. These are a bunch of pagan people. They've never even lifted their voice to you. They've not lifted a hand or a finger one time to you. He says they, they shouldn't get the same chance that I get. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter if we've been a part of the church or the bride of Christ for five years or ten years and God's given us a second chance or another chance and when we disobeyed, he's given us room and space or repentance. Thank God for that. I'm here to tell you today, I'm thankful that he gives those that's never been a part of his bride equal footing, equal chance. Because when we remember this, we must understand we were all at one time not a part of the bride, all at one time not part of the body, and thank God he gave us a space of grace. Amen. For repentance. There's, I'm, I, you know, I sit down with Joan, I feel like I'm a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, it's sideways, it's left, it's right. Jonah, amen, there's so much irony here in chapter number four, it's almost too much even to process because here's the wayward prophet that's been benefited by the grace extended to him and all is well. However, Nineveh, the wicked city, is benefited by the exact same grace extended to them and Jonah is tremendously upset as a result of it. It makes me think of the New Testament story in Matthew chapter number 18. It's like the parable there that is found of the unforgiving servant. You will remember that the unforgiving servant, he owes his master money. He doesn't have the means in order to pay for his debt. Amen. He asks, if you will, for mercy from his master and his master gives him grace. Amen. To make things right. And then that individual that has received grace, someone under him owes him money and he goes to him and in some places the scripture it's as though he took him by the throat. He's upset because he's not paid and he doesn't necessarily have to pay. He's going to throw him in prison, throw him in a dungeon. Amen. And then some of those as observers are seeing what's going on and they're saying, wait a minute, foul. Because you were in the exact same predicament not too much earlier of owing money and needing grace. But now somebody owes you money and you're not showing any grace. Amen. And so he had a hard time, amen, to allow the same forgiveness and grace that flowed to him to flow through him. That's what I think of whenever I consider the book of Jonah. Again, Jonah wasn't upset because God is a gracious God because Jonah had benefited from God being a gracious God. All right? He had personally benefited from that. Israel had personally benefited from that. But what Jonah is upset about is where God is gracious and to whom God is gracious to. Amen. He didn't want God's grace to be inclusive. Amen. 
But God's grace is inclusive. The Bible says in Titus 2 and verse number 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all, everybody say all, all men. I don't got a fancy Greek word for you to bring down the definition of all. All is all. The grace of God has appeared to all men. Now listen to me. What that means is this. Grace isn't necessarily a white man's benefit. Grace isn't necessarily just a heterosexual's opportunity. Grace isn't just a Republican man's benefit. Grace has appeared to all men. What that means is all races, all lifestyles, all political persuasions, God gives spaces and windows of graces to. And Jonah is complaining about who God is showing grace to while at the same time benefiting from the grace of God. Honey, I can't lift my hand or my finger or look down my long nose and snarl at anybody because if I am whoever he chooses to show grace to, understand I'm a beneficiary of grace at the very same time. We are who we are. I just read it last night in the Bible. The apostle Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace, hallelujah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, amen, because of the grace. Undeserved? Absolutely. It's the only way that grace comes. And so we get this mindset sometimes that certain people or certain people groups are less deserving of God's grace than others. Oh, God. In part, the reason why I believe that and that gets in our head sometimes is because, per se, their lifestyle or decisions that they have made or perhaps even a little more intimately, our knowledge of what they have done. Oh, Right? God Almighty, help me. Uh, you know, sometimes if we're too intimately involved with somebody and we know what they've done, we know how many times they've done it and all this stuff, we have a hard time sitting over in the corner and, and just even, it, it, we're like, oh, I'm just almost sick at my stomach that God would just even, because you know too much, so to speak. But had all the history of your life been made known too, that's the reason why Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace. Because he knows every household that he went into as Saul and he pulled them out and allowed people to be killed and slaughtered. Amen. He knows the letters he had when he went to Damascus. He knows Paul better than anybody. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I'm undeserved of what I have right here. I'm undeserved of what's been given unto me right here. And so I am even, he goes through a process through the Bible and the scriptures. He talks about himself as being an apostle and about himself being this and that but you notice as it goes through the line of Paul and his own concept and idea of himself as he gets further along on his journey in Christ you know what are some of the last things that Paul is saying rather than saying I'm uh, I'm a numbered among the apostles which would have clout with it which would have recognition with it some of the last things that he says before he ever dies he's saying this I am the chief of all sinners why because the further he went in his relationship with God God, the further he realized I wouldn't be what I am today if it wasn't for the grace of God. Amen. He started out saying, yeah, I'm one of the 12. Amen. But it was all said and done. He's saying, I'm the chief of sinners. That's a display of God's grace. Yeah. Amen. We got to hurry. Praise God. Amen. Grace. Look, if you will, at the extent of grace undeserved. Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. 
You remember her from the Old Testament? Jezebel was not of Israel. She was not of Israel. She married into Israel. She married an Israelite king, Ahab, but she was not of Israel. The Bible speaks that she was a Phoenician lady. She was of the daughter of Ethbel, the king of the Zidonians, a worshiper of Baal. And yet, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21, I don't have that up there, Brother Mason, but Revelation 2.21 even tells us that even this wicked Phoenician non-Israelite woman Jezebel who caused so much heartache for the land of Israel was given a space to repent. Yes, she was not Israelite. She had done nothing but bad. All right? She's not the good girl. She's the bad girl. She'd done horrible things in the nation of Israel. But even she was given a space to repent. What is that? Grace undeserved. Amen. Grace undeserved. Amen. Look, if you will, a little further. Indeed, the Bible says, and Jonah, Jonah recognized this. He identified with this, that God is slow to anger and that he is of great kindness. And we learned last week from Romans chapter number two that it is the grace of God or rather the goodness of God, the forbearance of God and the long-suffering of God that he actually uses to lead us to repentance. He gives that opportunity. He, he practices long-suffering and forbearance in order to lead us to repentance. And we saw this last week. But look, if you will, at the order even in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter three and verse 19. These are the words to the church of Laodicea. Amen. You remember the seven letters to the seven different churches in Revelations 1, 2, and 3. This is the words to the church of Laodicea. The ones that thought they were wealthy, increased with goods, had need of nothing, but they were blind and they were wretched and poor. In reality, this is what the word of the Lord came to them and said. He said, as many as I love, he says, I rebuke. The order is very important. I rebuke and chasten. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. The order is important because God is telling this group that thought they were more than what they really were. He says, I love you, and here's the way in which I go about it. He says, I will attempt to rebuke you before I try to chastise you. I try to rebuke you before I chastise you. And the admonition there in the verse is very agreeable. He says then, therefore be zealous and repent. You know what he's saying? At the moment of my rebuke, he says, be zealous, be ready, respond, don't linger. Take advantage of repenting after you've been rebuked so that you might escape the chastening of the Lord. That's what happened for Nineveh. They heard, if you will, the rebuke of the Lord through the message of Jonah and they all set their face to repenting. They were zealous to repent and as a result God turned his face from chastening them. God turned his face from destroying them. Amen. Grace is that unmerited, undeserved favor and if you've ever received it then you were just as undeserving as the next person whoever that may have been. If you've ever received it, you're just as deserving as the next person. The Bible says in Titus 3 and verse number 3, for, look, look at this. I, I, I was just going to read this morning verses 4 and 5, but then I thought in order to really get the thrust of this, we need to include verse number 3. He says, for we ourselves also, 
So this is along somebody else, right? For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, served, serving divers' lusts, which means various lusts, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. <laughs> he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus is making this quite inclusive. He's saying we ourselves also sometimes were foolish just like there are others right now in the moment foolish. We were disobedient while there's others right now disobedient. He said but whenever God's kindness and love was shown to us and appeared to us and grace came down to us, we realized it wasn't because we were good. It wasn't because we were proper. It wasn't it wasn't because we earned it. It wasn't because of something we did. But it's according to his mercy that he saved us. It's according to his grace and his mercy that he redeemed us. I'm washed by the same water everybody in this place that ever come into the body of Christ is washed by. You're baptized in the same name I was baptized in. You received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the same Holy Ghost that I received. Matters not what my past was, where I started. My beginning is different from your beginning, Brother Terry, concerning the details. But we all began in sin. We all began lost. We all. I'm a, I'm a child today of grace undeserved. Hallelujah. Amen. And so what begins to unfold about Jonah's mindset is this. Everyone, I'm talking about Jonah now. Bless his heart. Everyone shouldn't get the same perks, privileges, and chances that Israel gets or that Jonah gets. We may not come right out and say that. Oh, just walk with me here for a little bit. But our feelings, feelings, and attitudes toward others receiving grace reveals a lot about our humility or lack thereof. Because when someone receives it and you got that feeling that comes over you like, hmm, that's telling a lot about McGee. When someone is benefiting and my attitude is like, well, we'll see how long it lasts. Then that's just really a barometer for Paul McGee. And, and today, in reality, when we look at Jonah, this type of thinking. And listen, it's hard to admit this when you're in this. Okay. But this type of thinking is really driven by selfishness. Watch it, right? Selfishness. Take, for instance, you know where the Lord told his disciples in Matthew 16, he told them, if you'll follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, if you'll do that, then you'll be my disciples. If you'll follow me, he kind of has it, you're going to follow me and you're going to deny yourself. 
Like denying yourself was a prerequisite or it was, you know, in part, part of following the Lord. All right? Let me ask you this then. If you're a man like Jonah that's displeased with the way the Lord is handling something. Displeased with the way the Lord is handling something. In other words, you're not tracking with him. You're not following him with his mindset of how he's responding. If it takes denial to follow him, if I'm displeased with how he's doing it, I wonder if I'm denying self then. Because it takes denial of self to follow him. If I'm displeased with him, I'm probably selfish. And you ain't going to catch that on the end of the Po out in the Wabash River. <laughs> Amen. Look at this type of thinking that's taking place in Jonah. Look at him even in his prayer. Oh, what a prayer. We've all probably prayed, prayed before the prayer of complaint. <laughs> right? But look how Jonah, look at all this. He is self-absorbed. Look at all, you just look at verses two. Look at verse number three. Look at all the personal pronouns that Jonah has in this prayer. Look at it. I'm just going to go through. I won't read the whole thing. Well, maybe I will. And he prayed into the Lord. Uh, give me five minutes. And said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country, Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take I beseech thee my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Well, that's a whole lot about Jonah, isn't it? It's a whole lot about Jonah. And for that matter, he comes to that place, Lord. It's it, it just better if, if I just wouldn't even, if, if, I, if I would just die and not live. Now listen, God, God gave him grace to keep him from dying. And now he's asking the Lord, why don't you just, you know, take my life. You know what, it's, let's bring it to modern terminology. You know what Jonah's really saying about Nineveh's getting grace? Over my dead body, God. Over my dead body, you're going to spare Nineveh. What's somebody saying? You know what it, you know what it is? Self-importance that's surfacing again. Huh? Because if he's saying, God, I'd rather die than that happen, he must think he must be pretty important in God's sight, doesn't he? That I could leverage or maybe perhaps manipulate God with my own life. You know what he's saying? God, you got to choose. God, you got to choose. It's either me die or them. Me die or them, God. You're going to over my dead body. You're going to spare them. It's either me or them. And God steps back and he says, you just hold on. Because I got a plan that it's not going to be you, neither them. He says, I'm going to do it for all. You won't have to die and they won't have to die. I'm going to die. There is no choice in the matter. He can save all, all people to the uttermost. We cannot manipulate God in this way. So he's asking God, take my life, God. Hey, man, take my life because I don't want you. I don't want you to have mercy and grace with them. I don't want them to repent and you to turn. I know you spared my life, but I don't want you to spare their life. Hey, man, if I was in, listen, if I was in competition, with somebody else about who had more relevance for being saved. This is just theoretical. More relevance for being saved. I'm sure, I'm quite sure, 
there's somebody else in this world that would come out ahead of me. If there was such a thing as measuring who was worth being saved. I'm sure there'd probably be someone that would come out ahead of me. But the only relevance that any of us need for being saved, you're all in good shape here tonight or this morning. The only relevance that any of us need is being lost. Yeah. The only relevance that any of us need is being lost. And I stand with the other apostles and disciples of old. I once was lost, but thank God I have been found. Now look, Jonah doesn't answer the Lord's question in verse number four. He's really given Jonah something to ponder. He's wanting Jonah to be self-reflective. Dost thou well to be angry? You're upset. You're displeased. Do you have good reason for this? Dost thou well to be angry? He knows. He knows the answer, of course, is a convicting answer. And perhaps that's the reason why Jonah does not respond. God's really probing it. Jonah wants to know, is your anger about what took place right here? Is that really founded? Is that really founded? Do, do you of all people, Jonah, have a legitimate reason for being angry? You didn't seem too upset whenever I had the fish vomit you on the land. Huh? Oh, God. You, you, look now, look. Jonah goes out, verse 5. I got to hurry. We got to hurry. Jonah goes out in verse number 5. And he makes himself, the Bible says, a booth. A booth. Sukkah. That's the Hebrew word for booth. The booth that he made, it's the exact same word that they use whenever they talk about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. All right? And this feast for the Jews was a feast that they commemorated, in essence, God's grace in saving people from Egypt. All right? It's interesting to me because he's making a booth this very thing that would be a reminder of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a reminder of God being gracious. It's ironic to me. I'm going to make this booth, and I'm going to stew and choke and snarl over God being gracious, and I'm under something that is a reminder of God's grace. And so uh, of God's, you know, bringing the children of Israel from Egypt. But listen, this is important whenever we consider that. Listen very clearly. Because again, the big bone that Jonah has, those are enemies of Israel that God's being gracious toward, right? I must remind you that there were more, listen, there were more than just Israelites saved from Egypt. There were more than just Israelites saved from Egypt. I know we, we follow closely that, that 600,000 people that marched out of, you know, Egypt besides women and children and went across the Red Sea. And rah, but there were more than just Israelites. Don't forget, the Bible says that with the Israelites went up a mixed multitude. Look at it. It's in your Bible. Exodus 12 and verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. About 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. Verse 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Some of a mixed multitude went up with them. Some of this mixed multitude was Egyptians. Some of this mixed multitude were people of other nations that had resided in Egypt. But they, along with the Israelites, crossed the Red Sea. 
went through the wilderness journey. What are you saying? They all, including the mixed multitude, even received the grace of God. And so Jonah, as you're all kind of just, you know, sitting on your bum underneath that shelter that should remind you of God's graciousness to Israel, it wasn't just Israel. It was also people that were Egyptians and other nations. So how in the world can you sit there and just be waiting to see what God is going to do? God's going to do what he's done with mankind ever since the beginning. He's going to give him a window of grace to make things right. Make things right. Amen. But there's Jonah. He's grimacing. Verse number six. Let's go on. And the Lord God prepared a gourd. This is really grace again. The Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow because booths were made, of course, of of leaves and twigs that were cut from the trees. But we're talking about a very hot, arid place over time. You know what happens whenever a branch comes off a tree during the summertime? The leaves wilt, right? They turn brown, they fall off. And so Jonah's going to lose some of his shade that he has formerly. So God has a gourd come up that's going to make come up over Jonah that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief is the word that's used. So Jonah was exceedingly, here's some more irony for us. Jonah is exceedingly glad about the gourd. We got two things going on here. He's exceedingly glad over a plant and he's exceedingly mad over the people. Amen. And so it comes up, but God prepared, verse 7, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. That's just not a little balmy breeze. The winds could get up to 70 miles per hour. This is a particular wind that he is speaking about. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished, here we go again, in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, purposefully, look at verse 6 again. Purposefully, the Lord says he causes this gourd and this shadow to come over Jonah's head to deliver him from his grief. Grief. The word, the word that's translated grief in verse 6 from the Hebrew word is also the same word that we find in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 2 that's translated wickedness whenever it's talking about the Ninevites. So Lord's really causing a connection here because he's saying, I'm doing this to deliver you from your grief, which was the exact same word that he talked about Nineveh's wickedness. You're both being delivered from the same thing. Using the same word. You're both being delivered from the same thing. And so I'm providing a way to deliver you from this just the same as I've provided a way to deliver Nineveh from their wickedness or their grief. But here is the difference, right? Jonah's happy. Jonah's exceedingly glad about the gourd. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, he's exceedingly displeased with God for providing a same way Similar way for Nineveh. Amen. One, think about it. This is how bonkers. I'm sorry, I couldn't just blink for any other word. Here's how bonkers we can get. One way being provided is going to help the souls of all these men, women, and children of an entire city. You want to talk about selfishness? The gourd was just going to benefit Jonah. 
He was more pleased over what was going to benefit him than what was going to benefit all. All of them. It is the epitome of selfishness. Amen. Listen, this goes without saying, but it's a sad day. Oh my, we got to hurry down. It's a sad day when we derive more joy from what God does for us than what he is to us all. If the goodness of God's gourd, because this happened for Jonah, if the goodness of God's gourd, it was, it was his grace. If that didn't lead Jonah to repentance, you know what comes next? If you don't, if you're not grateful and appreciative of the gourd, the worm. If you're not grateful for the gourd, the worm comes. And the worm came and it ate up the gourd because Jonah was not zealous to repent. Amen. Following the rebuke came the chastising, the worm. And it came and ate up the gourd. Now, Jonah's attitude. Listen, what we see here in Scripture, you saying, well, Brother McGee, you saying then that Jonah never repented in chapter number three? No, I believe for 100% that Jonah repented. He was obedient in God where he failed before. He went to Nineveh. He declared his message. Amen. But what this is proof of right here is this is that if we don't keep a life of repentance, old temptations, old attitudes, sins lurk at our door to trip us up. What I'm saying is this, and the Scripture speaks about it, and bishops preached on it, how we're to lay aside every sin and wait. That so easily besets us. There are sins that we could call besetting sins that we are more prone to than anybody else. Amen. What all of this underscores is this. We need daily moments in our life of repentance. That repentance is not a one and done thing. You get baptized in Jesus' name. Wonderful. In reality, you never have to be baptized again. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. The name and the blood is effective from here on out. Amen. You received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thank God you might need refreshed in it. Amen. But you you received it when you received it. But when it comes to repentance, that's not just the time I came to God at first. That's a daily thing. A daily That's what that proves to me concerning this. He just repented in chapter 3. Yeah. Well, he needed to keep that up. Because there are going to come some things that's going to try us. Amen. And so the worm came, took away Jonah's shade. God sends that horrible wind, 70 mile per hour wind. And he's starting to get a little uncomfortable where he's at. Look at verse number nine. We got to go. And God said to Jonah, dost thou? Well, here we go again. Because huh? now he's mad because the gourd's gone. Glad that it came. Now he's horrified that it's gone. And God says, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? So he changes it up a little bit. At first he asked him, Do you do well to be angry? Of course, he was referring to Nineveh and their repentance and that space of grace that was given them. But now he's saying, Are you doing well then to be angry for the gourd? And so Jonah feels quite satisfied in his response. Or I guess he wouldn't have responded. But he feels quite satisfied and says, Absolutely, I do well to be angry. You better believe it, Bubba. Amen. Even angry into, I'm so mad I could die. <laughs> Amen. I could spit nails right now. You better believe I'm angry. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity. Oh, God had an object lesson. Did. Boy, this is the object lessons of object lessons. Then said the Lord, thou had pity on the gourd. He's, 
we, I don't really know if you realize how much God's really raking it over the coast right here. He said, wherein you have pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. So that's you and the gourd. He says, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? So here's God. Jonah, Jonah's angry because, Jonah's angry because God did not pity the gourd and Jonah is angry because God pitied the people of Nineveh. You got me? He's, he's, he's angry because God did not pity the gourd, which benefits Jonah alone. And he's angry because God did pity the people of Nineveh. And yet God does the raking of the coals with Jonah. Jonah, you're pitying and you're so upset over the gourd. He said, but did you ever labor for the gourd? Did you ever plant seed in order to grow, amen, the plant of the gourd? Did you have to watch over the gourd until it grew into the shady plant that it was? Did you have to water the gourd? Did you have to prune the gourd? Did you have to cultivate the gourd? For that matter, Jonah, that gourd came up in one night and then it, it, it ceased to exist the next night. Its lifetime and lifespan was quite brief. The gourd doesn't have, let me, I, I'm kind of ex extrapolating here on the scripture. The gourd didn't have a soul. The gourd didn't have a soul. The gourd's not going to live in the afterlife. And yet, Jonah, you're showing more concern over a plant that you didn't have nothing to do with more than the people because the plant benefited you. Someone say amen. But God could go on and say, but on the contrary, Jonah, I created the people of Nineveh. Each one of them I formed in their mother's womb. All their members I have recorded in my book. They were fearfully and wonderfully made from the very beginning. And yes, they've made mistakes, but that's not any different from you and your mistakes. And I gave them the same grace I gave you. So Jonah, stand with me, we'll close. We're good, we'll do it. So Jonah, the story, and that, you know, and I understand how we underscore it in our Sunday school classes. Man, kids are just wild by the idea of a man being swallowed by a big fish. But I'm talking to you adults today and telling you that Jonah is more than just a man being swallowed by a fish and spit out. Jonah is about a man that is too arrogant and selfish to appreciate the compassion of God in someone else's life. It's about a man that would rather disobey God and even die before he'd allow himself to observe God working on the behalf of his enemies. See, Assyria... Prior to this moment, and I think along this journey of our series, we talked about it. Man, they were horrid. When it came to battles and pelling people on stakes and plucking their eyes out and all this stuff, it was quite grotesque the way that they acted. Did some horrible, horrible things. And you know what? In the future, they're going to mess up again. And they whom they're going to be destroyed. They're going to do some other horrible things again in their future. Whew. But God, and this is God. 
But God was responding to the tenderness of their heart in a space of grace. Although they, and God already knew this because he's God, right? He knows the end from the beginning. They had done things bad and he knew that they would do things bad again. But you know what he's doing? He's responding to the tenderness of their heart in the space of grace and given opportunity now. So we can't disregard because of a past and we can't disregard because we assume they'll fail in the future because God didn't. He showed them grace undeserved in the window in which their spirit was tender toward God. So I'll tell you tonight or this morning, I guess I'm just trying to get both a.m. and p.m. in this morning, call it tonight. Whether it be Jonah or whether it be Nineveh, and this goes without saying, but let me say it. Our worst enemy is Paul McGee. Absolutely number one, enemy number one, it's Paul McGee. And you know what? Paul McGee has been a product of grace. Undeserved. If we bow our heads in this place, and I know we've been here at church for a while. Brother Mason, if you could come. Hallelujah. I don't want to close this service without somebody having an opportunity to take advantage of the space of grace that God has given to us. The reason this morning I'm not saying just to you because it's been given to us regardless who we may be, where we've been, where we're going. It's been given to us. And so this altar is open this morning. If you're, if you're one of those people, it's like, God, I've made, I've, made some, I've made some mistakes and I've had some left turns, if you will, and I've had some turnarounds, but God, I'm, I, I want to take advantage of the grace. Lord, at your, at your rebuke, at your coaxing, I want to take advantage of grace. God, if I can somehow sidestep the chastening of the Lord by being zealous to repent, by being very, very forthright to repent, I want to be a part of that. And God, God, I don't want to stand as juror and judge over that same grace and compassion being exhibited in somebody else's life. God, I may know them and I may know some of their faults and I may know some of their failures and I may know some of their mishaps, but God, I don't want to stand as juror and judge in their life and stand over there almost to the degree that as though, what, 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 well, they don't deserve that. Well, the moment we say that, we convict ourselves. Because neither did we. <laughs> oh, neither did we. God, he reached down. So, folks, do you understand? The Bible talks about that God condescended. He came from heaven to earth. You know, if he came from heaven and even took an earthly throne, it would still have been a condescension. But he didn't just go to that degree. He was born as a pauper in a stable. He condescended to extend grace to all of humanity. Republican, Democrat, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, transsexual, white, Asian, black, matters not. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. Oh, can we raise our hands today? If you have been made a beneficiary of grace, you need to, you need to showcase some gratefulness unto God. 
<laughs> Grace undeserved. Hallelujah. Brother Mason, please, there's some up here praying. If anybody would desire to pray with them, that would be wonderful. Amen. Or if you're just, you know, on the peripheral, you can just come up. It wouldn't hurt any of us just to end this service coming in around this altar. Whether we're thankful for grace, amen, or if we need to ask God to help us, amen, to process how he extends grace to other people, how we might have problems with that at times, right? It's all right to be honest with God. Amen. Hallelujah. He'll give us grace to make it through. Hallelujah. How we might see the compassion displayed in somebody. God, help me, Lord, to process. Help me, God, to see myself and what you did for me. God, knowing, God, what you can and what you shall do for them. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Let's talk to him. This is our only service today. Hallelujah. Undeserved grace.
cai o seu Amen. Hallelujah. I'll follow him. Someone receiving grace is not God ignoring sin. He dealt with sin. All right? He dealt with sin. I read in the Old Testament scripture, there's certain verses, I think it's in Nahum or even maybe a little further back in the morning of the minor prophets. It talks about how God... He just thought horrible of Israel was going to just kind of, you know, just blot them off the map, so to speak. But then the Bible, just a few verses later, talks about him blessing them. And someone's like, what's the deal, God? In between, the Bible talks about how he dealt with Israel's sin. He dealt with the sin. And then he forgave them and he blessed them. Just here recently, I, I finished a lot of books here this, this past week. And... Uh, one book that I finished and it didn't have anything to do with Jonah, but it's talking about uh, some of the, uh, the war camps back during the world wars and uh, how they had all gathered together. There was about seven or eight of them that gathered together that night uh, that were uh, prisoners and they had been digging trenches that day, Brother Terry, and they had come before uh, the Nazis and such and they were doing a head count and they were also making sure that the tools that they went out with, that they came back with and come to discover there was a shovel missing. And so the, the Nazi uh, soldier was like, okay, who stole a shovel? Who discarded a shovel? And, da, 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 da. and everybody's just kind of standing there and no one's doing anything. He said, come on, who, who did this? You know, he says, if I don't find out, y'all dying. So a man stopped. He said, it was my shovel, sir. Guy lost his life. Whenever all the other men got back to the barracks that night, wherever they were staying, they started talking among themselves, come to find out. The other shovel was found. It was there. It was among them. The guy that went forward didn't have any more fault than any of them. But you know what he was willing to do? He was dying for a fault that was accused and brought forward. What are you saying? Things get taken care of. It's just he takes care of them. He just takes care of them. That's what Calvary is. That's him taking care of our sins. So now he can turn around and bless you. Turn around and give you a future you didn't have before. That's grace undeserved. That's grace undeserved. Hallelujah. Have a wonderful, wonder, wonderful Sunday afternoon and safe day tomorrow on Monday. And don't forget that it's Memorial Day. Remember that we are remembering all of those of military service that have given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. Amen. For our freedoms in, in this country, uh, old warrior James Bradley, one of the flag raisers, said uh, they came back and they were giving away uh, war bonds and they were kind of prating them through to advertise for them. And they were like, oh, the heroes, you know, you raised the flag on Iwo Jima and all this. And he said, and he said, no, he said, the heroes are the ones that didn't come back. And so let's not forget that tomorrow as we enter into Memorial Day. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for hanging with me. Amen today. God bless you.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.